Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things that are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and uh, may I add my welcome to Lenny's, uh, again particularly if it's your first time here this morning, and uh, my name is Andrew, I'm the curate here at the church, that's kind of like a, a trainee vicar, that's my role. So uh, yeah, we're looking at that passage from Luke that Sarai just read so very well, thank you very much for that Sarai, and um, if you wanted to follow along, that's page 1042, I will pray and then let's look at this together. Father, thank you so much for your word that guides us through this life. Thank you that in all the busyness and all the pressure and all the struggles and all the difficulties, you are able to speak to us. You know us intimately. You know the troubles that each one of us is facing right now. And you are able to speak into those. And so, Father, as we look now at your word, please would you touch each one of us. Would you change us in the ways that we need to be changed? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1918, Charles Schwab was one of the wealthiest men in the world. He was the president of the Bethlehem Steel Corporation in America, which was the largest shipbuilder and the second largest steel producer in America at the time. But he was never happy with where he was. He was always questing to get better. And so he called in the uh, productivity consultant, Ivy Lee. And the story goes that Schwab called Ivy Lee into his office and he said, show me a way to get more things done. And Lee said, give me 15 minutes with each of your executives. And Schwab said, okay, well, how much will that cost? And Lee said, I'm not going to charge you anything now, but after I've sat down with them, give it a couple of months and pay me what you think it's worth. So Lee called in each one of Schwab's executives, and in 15 minutes, he explained this simple daily routine. At the end of each workday, write down the six most important things that you need to get done the next day. Don't write down more than six tasks. Then prioritize those tasks. Put them in order of the most important to the least important. And then when you arrive the next day, work only on the most important task until it's done. 
then do the second most important task and continue through your list. Anything that's still on the list at the end of the day, put it on the list for the next day, reorder, reprioritize, and repeat. After three months, Schwab called Lee back in and he gave him a check for $20,000. Equivalent value today, over $400,000. That's the value he thought it had added to his corporation. Well, um, I'm not here to give you uh, business tips today, so if you're thinking, now that's a good business tip, and how can I apply that this week in the office, then, well, you're welcome. Uh, you've got that for free, um, but if I can have you back for the next 20 minutes in church, then that would be great, um, because we're going to think about something even more important. Because every day, whether consciously, as Lee advised Schwab's ex executives to do, or unconsciously, we prioritise, we show what we think is important in life by what we do. We choose to carry out some tasks and we ignore others. We prioritise some relationships and we let others slide. We say we think some things are important, eating healthily, exercise, those sorts of things, and then we show by the actual way that we live that maybe we don't think they're that important after all. Now my question this morning is this. If you were writing that list of six important tasks for your life, a list that would apply to every day of your life, what should be at the top of that list? The one thing that we focus on above and ahead of all of the others, something sufficiently important to push anything into second place. Well, we've been tracking with Jesus and his disciples in Luke's Gospel for a couple of months now, and uh, following him on his journey to Jerusalem, and following Jesus' disciples on their journey of discovery of who Jesus is, and what it means to follow him. Last week we were looking at the very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan, which Andrew Quapong brought to us. And this week we're kind of pulling in with Jesus and his disciples as Martha invites Jesus into his home for a dinner party. Uh, Martha's sister is Mary, of course, as you may know. Um, and we know that they lived in this little village, Bethany, near Jerusalem. And you're probably even more familiar with their very famous brother, who was famous for dying, um, Lazarus. So we don't see him here, but he pops up in John's Gospel. Uh, Mary, sorry, Martha, she's kind of the, the sort of the busy one, the initiator, you know, just crack on, get on with it. She's the one that invites Jesus into the home. Whereas Mary, well, we'll see in a second. So if you've still got your Bibles open with me, um, have a read again from verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Well, this is probably the first time that uh, Mary and Martha are welcoming Jesus in, but as we say, it wouldn't be the last. Uh, the incident with Lazarus will come later. Martha, she's that getting things done sister. But then we've got Mary. Mary, verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And I don't know whether we want to say that you know, Mary's kind of like the dreamy one, just kind of sitting there, enjoying the moment. Everyone's gathered around and she's just sitting there listening to Jesus and enjoying it. Well, either way, you can probably, most of us can probably identify a bit with Martha in the next verse. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, putting aside the fact that it's quite bold to walk up to Jesus and go, uh, Jesus, do you not care about this thing that I care about? Tell her to do what I want her to do. 
putting that aside, well, actually, you kind of feel sympathy with Martha, don't you? There she is, working hard, no doubt flustered, running around after all things. If you count up the people that are going to be there, you've got Jesus and his disciples, so that's 13, plus Mary and Martha, at least 15. Maybe Lazarus is there as well. Maybe there are other house guests. I don't know how many times you've cooked for 15, 16 people, but it's quite a bit of work. And so you can imagine Martha's frustration. And in their culture, hospitality was much more of a priority than in our culture. It was very important. And not to serve an honoured guest like Jesus would bring great shame on your family. So those listening, the disciples sitting around would probably have expected Jesus, gently, lovingly, to say, actually Mary, run off to the kitchen and help your sister. And so the next line would have been something of a surprise. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And you can imagine Martha, we don't get a record of it, but you can imagine Martha, whether verbally or in her mind, protesting. But Jesus, the meal! But Jesus, the preparations, but Jesus laying the table, but Jesus looking after you guys. And perhaps we sort of have that inner protest as well when we read those words which are addressed to us as much as they're addressed to Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, listening to Jesus. Well, I don't know what's going on in your head right now, um, but Jesus, my job. But Jesus, the promotion. But Jesus, the threat of redundancy. But Jesus, the over overgrown garden. The MOT. The kids' homework. Football club. Chess club. My sick grandmother. My unemployed son. How can you say that those things aren't important? Well, Jesus doesn't say they aren't important. Notice he says that only one thing is needed. And after all, last week we were looking at the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan wasn't sitting at home reading his Bible the whole time. The Good Samaritan was out there on the road, loving and looking after and caring for his neighbour, his brother, who was in need. So many things are important. But Jesus says only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen it. And what is Mary doing? She is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to Jesus. Well, why is listening to Jesus the one thing that is needed? Of all the many things that we could put on our priority list of six things for our whole life, why should listening to Jesus be number one for our life? Well, actually, if you still got your Bibles, turn back to chapter 9. We were looking at this a few weeks ago. Chapter 9, verse 23. And this is Jesus teaching his disciples, and by extension us too, of what it means to follow him, what it means to live for him in this world. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit 
their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So you can see the importance there that Jesus puts on listening to him. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words. So that priority of listening to Jesus, and we can see how high the stakes are. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Jesus will save it. And then he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self, their very soul? Well, you can see how that applies to Martha's dinner party. You might say, what good is it to put on the greatest dinner party in the world but forfeit your very self? What good is it to climb to the top of the corporate ladder to have the perfect house, the perfect car, the perfect life and yet forfeit your very soul? The world tells us there are so many things that we have to do. We have to. We've got to eat healthily. Sleep eight hours a night. You must stretch every day. You must exercise. You should meditate. You must save. You must invest. You must take deep breaths every day. You must practice gratitude. You must take your vitamins. You must wear sunscreen. You must drink two litres of water a day. I think if you add up all the little things that we are supposed to do every day, you wouldn't have time for a job. I read those kind of things. It's just exhausting thinking, man, all of these things that I have to do. And many of those things are good. Many of things, those things are very wise. I do try to do some of the things on that list. But Jesus says only one thing is needed. Why? Because only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Imagine that we did all of those things on that recommended list. Eat healthily, take your vitamins, eat two liters of water a day, eight hours of sleep. All of those things... What is the best case scenario? If we do all of those things but don't listen to Jesus, what is the best case scenario? It is that we gain the whole world, but we forfeit our soul. And Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of my words, whoever doesn't listen to me in this generation, well, of him will Jesus be ashamed when Jesus returns. So ultimately, what have we gained? Well, we've gained nothing. And so that is why listening to Jesus is the one thing that is necessary. But it's not the only thing that is important, as we've said. But it is the thing that we want to put at the top of our list. Because if we listen to Jesus, if we put that at the top of our list, then that tells us which other things should be included on our list. That tells us what should be at number two, three, four, five, and six each day. Only Jesus' words can guide us through life. Each of us goes through life as a novice. Every year that we live, we've never experienced things we've never experienced before. As we go through each stage of life, we're doing it for the first time, and we never get a second go. We only get one life. And so, if we're going to work out how to live a good life, we want to listen to someone who knows. And who better to tell us how to live a good life than the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us. We need an experienced guide. I don't know if you know the saying, failure is getting to the top of the ladder 
and then realizing that it was against the wrong wall. Failure is getting to the top of the ladder and then realizing that it was against the wrong wall. Jesus tells us which wall to put our ladder against. Jesus guides us as to what life should look like. And I think often as we go on in life, if we are those who listen to Jesus, so there's that kind of, there's that one-off listen to Jesus' word to us to repent and believe that each one of us must do. But if we have done that, if we are now walking with Christ, then there's that ongoing daily listening to Jesus that we want to do to keep us walking with him, to keep us going until the end and to guide us through this life. J.C. Ryle, um, who is a a good bishop back in the um, 18th century, and he said this, he said, the nearer we come to the grave, the more we will assent to this truth that there is only one thing that is needed. Health, money, lands, rank, honours and prosperity are all well in their way. The many things which men and women are continually striving for are not really necessities. Only one thing is needed. Some of you will know um, Eddie Terrett, uh, who used to come here. Um, He goes to a church nearer where he lives now. And a number of years ago, his sister was dying. Um, And Eddie said this to me. He said, uh, so there's a Latin phrase, in vino veritas, which means in wine the truth. So Eddie just kind of caught me and he said, in vino veritas, they say, with wine the truth. But it's true as you get closer to death as well. You realize that the only thing you really need is the Bible and everything else is total and utter rubbish. As he was looking on at his sister dying in advanced years himself, facing his own death, he was realizing this truth experientially. Only one thing is really needed. Well, I reckon um, there are many of us in this room who have listened to Jesus in that repenting and believing sort of way. But many of us probably also struggle to make listening to Jesus part of our day. So if we wrote a list of actually the six things that we do in our day, would listening to Jesus, would reading the Bible, reading God's Word, be on that list for our day? So I spend my life uh, working for the church. So it's unusual for me that there's a day when I'm not looking at the Bible in some capacity. But in that sense of sitting down, calmly, quietly, not preparing for a sermon, but reading the Bible for myself, I feel the struggle to do that. You know, I get up in the morning, and particularly maybe if I get up a little later than I intended, then I think, oh, there's so much I need to do. I haven't got 10 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour to just sit down and it kind of feels like you're not really achieving very much, doesn't it? You know, we we like to be able to tick things off our to-do list and just sitting quietly and reading God's Word and praying doesn't feel like it achieves very much. But Jesus says that actually it's the most valuable thing that we can do in our day. So why don't we? Well, often because we don't make it a priority in that way, because we're so desperate due to other things, but as well often, I think, and maybe increasingly so, we're just so distracted. And so I heard a quote recently, uh, this podcast that I'm listening to, um, about Christianity in a a post-Christian culture, and this quote just stood out to me, I wrote it down, people are just so distracted. I honestly think that the iPhone is a greater threat to the gospel of Jesus in the West than secularism ever has or ever will be. 
spoken by a man who owns an iPhone, I own one myself, and who uses it, and it can be a great tool, but it can be a great distraction. Um, those of us who have a smartphone which, which tells you each week how much time you spend looking at it each day. I don't know about you, but I'm shocked every time that pops in. For me, it comes in at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and it says, you spend this many hours per day looking at your phone. And I just think, I'm wasting my life. Why am I spending that much time looking at my phone? That's ridiculous. And some of it's, you know, for work, it's got emails and texts and those sorts of things on there and reading articles. But much of it is froth. It's just unnecessary. And I think often that is Satan's tactic. Satan would love us not to read God's word. So I've got a bit of a quote here um, from C.S. Lewis. It's on the longer side. And for those who aren't familiar, this is from a book called The Screwtape Letters. And the Screwtape Letters is written as if it is from a senior demon writing to a junior demon about how to tempt humans. So if it seems a bit like it's coming from a strange angle, that's what's going on. This is a senior demon writing to a junior demon to tempt humans. And so he says this uh, about kind of the particular subject that the junior demon is trying to tempt. You don't even need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers a column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversation with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not partying, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be repressed and nothing given in return, so at last he may say, as he arrives in hell, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought, nor what I liked. There are a number of books now that have been written by people who engage with people in their old age, and consistently the number one regret of people as they die is, I lived the life that other people thought I should live, or I lived a life where I just followed a path, but never actually thought about how I was living, never actually prioritised, never actually thought about what I wanted to do. And that is the goal uh, of, of Satan, is to make us not read. I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. Whereas actually, if we will make God's word a priority, then we can live a life that we know is valuable. And it's not a drudge. That's the problem. Again, that's one of Satan's tactics, to make us feel like it's work, to make us feel like it's boring, to make us feel like it's just another duty that gets in the way of our day. But it's a gift. God's word is described in the Bible as like honey, as like bread, as like water, as like food, as like balm to an uncalm soul. Jesus says, to us. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And I finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis that I've put on the front of the service sheet, actually, which I find incredibly helpful in a number of houses that I've lived in. I've actually printed it out and put it up in a prominent place. I need to do it in my new flat. And I think it balances that, that tension of it's a duty, it is something wonderful that we want to do, but also it's a joy. 
It is a gift to us. C.S. Lewis says this, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in simply shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger life come flowing in, and so on, all day. That voice of Jesus, that voice of Jesus to be number one in our day, and if we let it be number one, then everything else will fall into place behind it. Let's pray that that is what we would do. Father, forgive us for how often we make reading your word another thing that we feel we should do. Forgive us for that lack of desire to come to you, that lack of uh, eagerness to receive from you. And we pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, change our perspective. Only one thing is necessary. Please would you help us to put that one thing first. In Jesus' name, amen.